ahead of Duke Carolina. It's ACC Sports Insiders. My name is Josh Graham with Jason Kong and Brian Geisinger. The Blue Devils and Coach K's final visit to the Smith Center. Coach K, 42-year career, his final visit to the Smith Center tonight. Let's talk about what's at stake in this game, boys. First place in the ACC. It seems like Coach K is absorbing a lot of the oxygen out of the room, but from a basketball perspective this year, you're looking at an 8-2 and Duke team in league facing an 8-3 and Tar Heel team. First place on the line here. And also, BG, when you start talking about NCAA tournament bids for Carolina... They're 0-6 in quad one games. The net ranking is obviously very important. This would be their first if they were able to get it. Yeah, it's a massive opportunity for the resume. And also in the, the vacuum of, uh, of, of Coach K's, this being his last trip to Chapel Hill, leading a team, one door closes, another one opens. Hubert Davis has obviously been a part of this rivalry for decades now, right? Going back to 1989. But for him, this is a new chapter for him, both in this rivalry and for UNC basketball with uh, for the first time in almost 20 years with the new coach leading UNC into uh, the most anticipated game of the season, a matchup with Mike Krzyzewski and Duke. So I think there are, there are narratives coming from a variety of different angles, but for UNC, this is a critical resume-building opportunity in Chapel Hill. And by all accounts, this is projected to be a very close game. What's crazy to me, talking about the K storyline, is how many of the memorable Duke Carolina games over the last 40 years are from Chapel Hill. <laughs> when you think of the signature moments, Sands the capel shot to force overtime in 95, which did not feature Coach K. Pete Gaudette was on the bench in 95. Pretty much all of them, short of the 89 ACC tournament game at the Omni in Atlanta or looking at some of the the overtime game in 2015 after Dean Smith passed away at Cameron, pretty much all of them are in Chapel Hill when you think about Duhan's runner in 04, Roy's first win against K with Marvin Williams hitting the putback. You talk about 30 years ago, Hubert Davis, the Montrose blood game. The first time they ever stormed the floor at the Smith Center in 1992. That's in Chapel Hill. If you want to go back to the Carmichael days, Michael Jordan's double overtime game, his last home game at the Smith Center, that was also in Chapel Hill. 2020, the Trey Jones put back the Wendell Moore winner, Austin Rivers in 2012. It's strange to me, Kong, that many of the more memorable games of this series have been played in Chapel Hill. Are you building us up, Josh? Are you saying that tonight we're going to have the most epic showdown between... It always delivers! All right, all right. right. I'm enjoying the selective memory uh, segment of this show right now because there's plenty (laughs) of memorable moments that have taken place in Durham or outside. There's the 2019 ACC Tournament semifinal game where you've got Zion Williamson back after missing the first two games against UNC that season. And in that game, that semifinal game, you've got Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, Trey Jones, Zion Williamson on one side of the court, and on the other side of the floor, you've got Cameron Johnson, Nasir Little, Kobe White. How many draft picks alone in that game? An epic game. Plus, earlier that season, you've got the Zion Williamson shoe issue uh, uh, in Durham. The Obama the two- game. Exactly. That was There's- my first ever Duke Carolina game. I remember seeing you at that game. You were rabid and insane, and that's what <laughs> happens to people when they're at their first Duke-UNC game. I, I That had been me at one point in time as well. You've also got the 2017 matchup 
um, in Durham, which is the, the Jason Tatum second half masterpiece performance, plus the dunk over the top of Kennedy Meeks. I believe that's what followed after uh, Coach K told Jason Tatum he was being a soft, you know what, from St. Louis. <laughs> and uh, J- Jason Tatum, who noted good basketball player and proud uh, d- denizen one time of St. Louis, uh, did not uh, re- did not enjoy that and responded probably in a way that Coach K would appreciate, which was him throwing down the gauntlet on UNC uh, in the second half. So I agree that perhaps there is like a slightly – uh, a slight favor for some of these memorable matchups happening uh, in the in the massive Dean Dome or in Carmichael, but plenty of them have taken place. I can think of a matchup in Brooklyn that I attended in 2018, the ACC tournament in Charlotte in 2019, and plenty to, to, to recount as well in Durham. You know what's crazy about that 2018 tournament game in Brooklyn? That's the last time the ACC tournament was there. It's set to return in, in about a month or so. That's actually the last time Duke's lost an ACC tournament game. Yeah. 2019, they won the tournament in Charlotte, and you that might be the best basketball game I've ever been to, that Duke-Carolina game in 2019 uh, in the semifinals. 2020, obviously, they never got a chance to take the floor. 2021, they played twice, won both those games, and then had <laughs> yeah. a COVID issue that ended their season. So the last time Duke's lost in the ACC tournament, you got to go back to 2018. Yeah, it's insane. Gary Trent Jr. was on the <laughs> roster. You know, it's like guys that guys that would even if they had stayed all four years would have cycled out of Duke by now. Jason Kong, since you're our resident Carolina graduate here, I need to put this in your court because something that's been talked about all week long: Will North Carolina do something? to honor Mike Krzyzewski's final visit. Whether or not it's a gift, like what Louisville did bringing him out, and this is a pretty high bar to set, the, the, uh, the having the bourbon with Coach K's face engraved into it, a Louisville slugger bat presented by Denny Crum there courtside, or if you're just giving some sort of recognition by the PA announcer, I think it's something that should happen, but as a Carolina guy... How do you feel about that? I'm all for the recognition. I mean, I don't think you go out of your way to do a gift, but I do think there will be some sort of tip of the hat uh, recognition that this is Kay's last game. How will the crowd react when they do that? I think I think there will be cheers. I mean, me too. I, maybe I'm optimistic in that way, or maybe I'm not grounded in reality. But if if I were there, you know, I would. Cert- there's certainly a lot of respect for Coach K. So I I think there will be cheers, and I think it it won't be some big grandiose thing, but I think it'll be a nice tip of the hat. I I think here's my here's a, what I think is a possibility for for this matchup as well. And this is same topic, but perhaps a slightly alternative angle of it. Kong, you're, you and I are big NBA fans, right? Um, think about what did the tradition become annually with the late, great commissioner of the NBA, David Stern, when he would come out at the start of the draft every year. It was taboos, right? And Stern leaned into it, especially those last couple of years. And it was like he would turn into a, a wrestling yeah. heel, right? <laughs> and he would almost just be out there. And, and it, there was, even though people were booing David Stern, there was it was almost out of um, appreciation or love or gratitude, yeah. something along those lines. I'm willing to bet there's a portion of UNC fans that are at this game that are there, obviously to see the Tar Heels play, but they are there to boo Coach K and to boo Duke. Like that's part of what makes this rivalry special. 
And I think like an acknowledgement of that could actually be UNC fans booing Mike Shashevsky. Like that's 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 how they show their appreciation for uh, for a basketball, a, a, a silly sporting event that takes such a large place in everyone's lives in this area. One of the funniest things I was told was Chris Patola, former Coach K assistant, works for ESPN now. He said one time before a Duke Carolina game, he was waiting in the tunnel for alongside Coach K and was going to walk out with Coach when he took the floor. And K was taking a lot longer than he normally would to go out on the floor. And he realized, oh, Coach is waiting for Roy Williams to walk out. So he walks out at the same exact time. That way fans have to make a decision. Do I boo Coach K or do I cheer Roy Williams? Keep an eye on when Coach K actually walks out on the floor there would be precedent for cheering your rival in a weird context out of a sign of respect. You guys are NBA guys. When Kobe Bryant announced his farewell tour, well, he went to Boston for the final time, mm-hmm. got a standing ovation, and everybody cheered him. Uh, if you're baseball fans, Derek Jeter, we knew that he was going to hang it up. His final series as a Yankee was at Fenway Park, and he got a standing ovation, and everybody's cheering him. One of the more vicious rivalries we see in pro sports so I do think there's a sign of respect there it's okay to respect your rival and cheer somebody that I think if you're wondering why you would do so for your rival so much a part of this rivalry or so much a part of the identity of these two programs in general is threaded in this rivalry when people think about it outside of where we're currently talking to you at Mm -hmm. a national context it is some combination of this game, this rivalry that people talk about. And Coach K is central in that. And he's even said that it's special because the other side has been the measuring stick for him, talking about Dean Smith and Roy Williams. So it goes both ways. And it's why it, it wasn't weird at all in 2015 after Dean died. Two weeks after the fact, not only Duke decided we're going to do a moment of silence, but all our players are going to lock arms and Coach K and Roy is going to lock arms and they're going to take a, they're going to kneel uh, at, at uh, center court in, in prayer before a game. Like You would think rivals wouldn't do that type of thing. But when you're talking about figures that are so central to your identity, it makes sense. And I think it would be a nice gesture for North Carolina to do that in a little bit. Yeah, well, on a personal level, I have a, uh, a love-hate relationship with uh, carbohydrates, and yet I still manage to honor them every day, too. <laughs> All right. I see you locked arms with carbohydrates every, yeah, every morning. Yeah, I, so. I did, or did earlier today. All right, so let's get into the actual game then, because it's fascinating to me. Some of the matchups here. The news that we got yesterday, or make it a couple days back, was Dawson Garcia's not going to play in this game for North Carolina. This is going to be the fifth consecutive game he misses. During that stretch, we learned that Anthony Harris is not going to return for the remainder of the year. So when I start with this matchup, I start in a place of how many guys does Hubert Davis have to put on the floor that he trusts versus... Mike Krzyzewski, who seems like off the bench, it's some combination of Roach or Keels, depending on who's going to start. Then you got Theo John, the transfer from Marquette, and you got also as well Joey Baker and or mm-hmm. Bates Jones mm-hmm. if you need him. That's that's where I start in terms of trying to figure out what this game's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, both of these teams have, to some degree, like limited rotations, right? Now, it does seem like in the last couple of games... 
you're getting a little bit more Puff Johnson, right? After he came back from injury, he plays 17 minutes against NC State. He plays 13 against Wake Forest. How much do you think is that due to necessity? I think, I mean, it definitely part of it, but I also think Puff Johnson is what? He's six foot eight, 200 pounds. So he gives you another rangy guy on the wing. And when you do take one of Baycott or Manic off the court because you're without Dawson Garcia, so you're missing the, the third guy in this big, in like your big guy front court rotation, you put, you put Leaky Black as your de facto four. Well, you can do that and stay you know, a little bit smaller, but keep some size and length on the court because Leakey's six eight and has some good length at the at this, you know, hybrid position. But Puff Johnson gives you another hybrid guy that can come in at six eight, can shoot a little bit, gives you a little athleticism too. So you don't you downsize but aren't, you know, you're still keeping some length elsewhere on the court. So I think that's actually an interesting uh piece in the in this like piece in Carolina's rotation and Puff Johnson and also how much UNC has to go small against Duke tonight, um, in part because, well, then that could allow you to play Leaky Black on Paolo Bencaro a little bit if you want to get into that battleground. That allows you to do that a little bit. Maybe it hurts you on the defensive glass some. But, uh, but yeah, these are, these are, to certain extents, limited rotations, in part because a guy like Kerwin Walton hasn't been the player that he was a season ago when, so he, was, bizarre. when he was one of the best shooters in all of college basketball and one of the best wings in the ACC. So, yeah, they're limited. There were times earlier in the year where Hubert maybe could have tried to have integrated DeMarco Dunn, Dontre Styles a little bit more into the rotation. There were some efforts for that, but I think ultimately that didn't quite come online. So these teams, you know, you're going in with who you can trust, and you know it's probably seven or eight guys at most on both sides, but really it's going to end up being six guys basically on both sides that carry, like, the lion's share of the minutes. It is accsports.com insiders. That's the voice of Brian Geisiger. I'm Josh Graham. Jason Kong here as well. And Jason, there are a lot of matchups to choose that could be fascinating to watch. And this one, what's the one that fascinates you the most? Oh, I'm looking down low. Well, maybe it's not necessarily down <laughs> low, but Manic and Bancaro, to me, that's that's the one that I have my eye on. Uh, is This could just be a, a... To me, I think this game is going to be a scoring battle. Uh, I don't know how much defensive intensity we'll see. I mean, we talked about that a bit on ACCSports.com this week. Uh, you know, Josh, you had a segment where you discussed the defensive upside of Duke and some comments from Mike Bray at Notre Dame on the defensive potential with Duke. So that's what I have my eye on. Um, you know, how are just the scoring battle that these two guys are going to be engaged in? See, Brady Manick, that's the interesting piece for me because I've watched several games Carolina's played where you it's pretty obvious what the opposition's doing. They're they're hunting Brady Manick. On the offensive end of the floor in the last five games, Manick's been a really important piece. You look down the stretch mm-hmm. against Virginia Tech. You look at him against Louisville. He was tremendous in both those games offensively. But on the defensive side, this is really where the heart of the matchup is. If you're Hubert, what do you do with one of the front runners for ACC Player of the Year, Paolo Boncaro, on the other side, do you match him up with Manic, considering how often Paulo gets players in foul trouble and North Carolina having not a lot of depth like you talked about there, no Dawson Garcia in the lineup? Or do you risk, since Paulo's not much of a three-point threat where you're worried about him shooting over people, you can maybe bring in a smaller, slightly smaller 6'8", leaky black 
who you know is your best defensive player. How do you see Hubert approaching that matchup with Paolo? It's fascinating. I think it's one of the like key sort of like battleground areas of this game. And in a game that's projected to be close, I think stuff like this, like who wins these little like mini skirmishes, it can, can ultimately determine who wins the actual game. And you got to remember, like I think as far well, let's just start with Manic on offense. I imagine Duke will switch a lot when he's when Manic is involved in the ball screen action, and they're just going to say, "Look, look, you might be able to shoot over the top of Wendell Moore Jr., but like you're going to have to shoot over the top of somebody. We're not going to rotate and stunt and like allow you to get clean pick and pop looks. We're switching." Paolo Benquera has shown, especially in that Notre Dame game, that he can get out and switch and, and you know stay in front of Caleb Love. Right? Yeah, it's crazy how how close to center court Notre Dame had to start their offense and that's that's a problem if that's what North Carolina is looking at and so then so then RJ Davis becomes a big piece because he can actually pressure the rim with his dribble he's a guy that could put Bancaro in foul trouble and get Duke into its bench and then things things shift dramatically from there I don't think Caleb Love is the kind of guy that can like get downhill and draw a bunch of fouls um as far as UNC's defense goes, I think Manic can handle Bancaro, relatively speaking, like in the post, in the mid post. I think like he's he's old, he's experienced, he's big enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, assuming he can stay out of foul trouble, and that's something UNC's defense has done well so far this season. In fact, Duke and UNC are two of the as far as their defenses go. These are two of the teams that foul the least. They they rank inside the top twenty nationally in opponent free throw attempt rates. So they don't foul very much on their side of the court. Don't tell that to Louisville, right? Exactly. Exactly. Do we know who the officials are in an hour and a half? <laughs> but is but, TV Ted in, in the Smith Center again? But but my thought would be, assuming with Bancaro, you may need to even send help in the posts. So already you're just saying we're going to put a big guy in front of him, and then there's going to be people rotating around him, right? There's going to be a guard stunting in or, or digging in. Um, so there's that. I think it's also going to be fascinating, depending on that, well, what, what do you do with Leaky Black? Do you put Leaky Black on Wendell Moore Jr., who's, I, I guess, the head of the snake, especially with Trevor Keels, like, just now working his way into the rotation? Like, Moore is, I don't know if he's their primary ball handler, because Jeremy Roach has taken on a lot of those responsibilities the last couple of weeks, when, especially when Keels was out. But Moore is sort of like the combination of, Time with the like most time with the basketball size and talent, right? And so I think you could say we're going to put Leaky on that guy, but then if you do that, then all of a sudden you may have Caleb Love on AJ Griffin, who's a guy that can float around screens and drill three pointers. And Caleb Love has moments defensively. He also can get a little spacey when he's not guarding the basketball. He has issues getting around and getting over the top of screens. There's plenty of issues this season where where opponents have been able to burn him by doing this. So I think the matchups for UNC's defense are fascinating. I do think you'll see Manic plus half a defender frequently on Bancaro. And I am most interested to see how UNC guards pick and roll in this game. We've seen them do a good job taking away the middle uh, against NC State. That was something they were very good against. You can do that against Duke, especially if Mark Williams is setting the screen. It's going to be harder to do, to do that if Paolo Bancaro is setting the screen. Because if you ice those screens, Bancaro catches the ball in the middle of the court, and then he's playing four on three, and it's like it's lights out for your team. He burned Wake Forest this season in Winston-Salem when Wake iced those side screens. So I'll be curious to see like how Bancaro handles that, how UNC handles that as so well. So if you're watching today, keep a close eye on what Hubert Davis is doing defensively against this Duke offense that can really light it up from time to time. Now let's get to Caleb Love, who I think might be an X-factor in this game when you consider last year when North Carolina swept the season series, Caleb had two of the best games of his career. He had a career-high 25 points in Cameron, 
And then in what turned out to be Roy Williams' last home game at the Smith Center, a blowout win for the Tar Heels. He had 18 points and 7 assists. Those 7 assists, the most helpers he's had in an ACC game. He didn't play well against Louisville, but I'll tell you what, at least on the offensive end of the floor, I expect Caleb Love to bounce back and have a big game today. Yeah, Caleb Love is a really talented player. Um, and we've seen some regression in the right way, positive regression, uh, in terms of his ability to shoot pull-up threes. Like He was definitely not as bad of a shooter as we saw a season ago. The Caleb Love issue is his ability to create separation one-on-one with defenders, right? And that's where I think you get to some of his really tough shooting percentages. right? He's still shooting just 36% on twos this season. And we saw in the Louisville game, even in the NC State game, just some wild attempts where he couldn't get separation and he just had to get the tried to get the ball up on the rim and it's a really low percentage look. Every so much for Caleb Love is dependent on is he hitting that deep pull up three? Because when he does that, it opens up everything for him offensively. He can play off of that gravity and then it opens up UNC's offense. So he's a big deal. But um, but I I also think like not not to completely move off of Caleb Love, but I just think R.J. Davis is having a season a really really good season in his second year. That's kind of flying under the radar a little bit because he's not the bigger he's like Caleb Love is a bigger name. Davis is the guy that can get into the paint and kick out and make decisions and like that's something that Love is capable of doing. But um, it takes like a little bit more and he really needs to have that three ball humming to really create those downhill driving lanes. You are listening to ACC Sports Insiders. I'm Josh Graham. With- Brian Geisiger and Jason Kong. Let's get into what we think's actually going to happen in this game. What who we think's going to win this game? But and I'll start here. I I think tonight is simply a bad matchup for North Carolina. A lot of the reasons that we're talking about here. Duke's defense should have the answers. Armando Baycott is one of the biggest interior threats that the ACC has, and. Mark Williams, on the other side, might be the best rim protector the ACC has. You talk about a good three-point shooting team. North Carolina is third in the ACC in shooting percentage from three, top 30 in the nation in that category. Duke, top 30 in the nation when it comes to perimeter defense. Look what they did to Notre Dame, who really cuts its... uh, They really pride themselves in being a really good three-point shooting team. They completely locked down Notre Dame on Monday. Conversely... I have no idea, really, how North Carolina is going to handle Bancaro. And depth is a problem for me. Foul trouble. You can't have any of these three get in foul trouble and expect to win. Manic, Armando Baycott, and I'd even, obviously, Lukey Black, you throw him into that. So I think a lot has to go wrong for Duke to lose. Just like we saw Miami, probably should have still lost that game to Duke. They had, Duke had 17 turnovers in that game. And they shot it poorly. Florida State, they allowed 19 offensive rebounds and had 15 turnovers and still was right there in overtime with a shot to win it. So I think I'm going to go with Duke. I It always delivers, they say, but I'm going with the <laughs> Blue Devils to win this game, and it might be closer than people think. Jason Kong, what do you think? I think the foul trouble is going to work both ways, uh, particularly with Duke's bigs. Uh, I think we... Your, your narrative uh, comes to life here. It is a, another close game in Chapel Hill, but I, I think the Tar Heels pull it out. All right. UNC's defense, which has been okay, not great this season, doesn't force turnovers. So I think assuming Duke is able to take care of the basketball in this game and they're ending possessions with them shooting or getting a foul or getting on the offensive glass, that's a big deal for them. UNC, of course, Kentucky game notwithstanding, has been an elite defensive rebounding team this season. Duke's a pretty good offensive rebounding team. 
I just I'll go Duke because I think the, I think the talent and the matchups are slightly in their favor. But if UNC comes out and starts bombing threes, like all bets are off, you know, and and that changes things. That increases the variance. That changes things very very quickly. But I'll go Duke in a you know one possession style affair. And there you go. Those are our picks. I got the Blue Devils. Geisinger has the Blue Devils. Jason Kong, lone wolfing <laughs> for the Tar Heels in this game. Enjoy the basketball. This has been ACCSports.com Insider.